My name is Brayden Jones. I'm a member at King's Cross Church, and you're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. If you don't know me, Josh has said this, but my name's Chip. Um, one of the pastors here. It, today's a great day. Yes? Um, if you are brand new, um, we have added this service. Um, the second service, it's been a while, like all the way back since before COVID, um, since we have done that. And so we're excited uh, about growth, but we're not excited about growth for growth's sake. Uh, if you grab a cup of coffee and, and you look up there, there's a little sign there that says people are the mission. Um, we are excited about growth in the church because we're excited about people growing. Um, and we are excited about the Lord reaching people. So when I hear things like Madison saying, um, two years ago I was baptized here um, and now I am continuing to grow and I'm learning how to let go of certain things and I'm growing up in other things. When we talk about wanting to see people grow in the gospel, that's what we mean. When we talk about wanting to see people connected in community, what we mean is, hey, I showed up at this event, people wanting to get to know me. I made some relationships around a table, and I know that not everybody, um, least of all the men, were at the women's retreat last weekend, um, but we just... <laughs> <that's right. laughs> But we do just want to celebrate what it is that God's doing at the end of the service today. Uh, we've got four people who are being baptized. We have two more people. Yeah, we have two more people being baptized uh, next week. If you're a covenant member, we've got a member meeting tonight uh, with Family Meal, but we'll also be affirming 13 new people into membership. Um, and so would you just thank God for what it is that he's doing um, in the lives of people uh, at King's Cross. Grab a Bible, turn to Exodus 6. Also, I'll just share with you this, like the Lord just um, <laughs> rebukes me sometimes, um, and I need to listen to the, the sermons that I preach, but one of the things that I did during the week, um, I was in early on Monday and nobody else was here, I wanted to make sure, you know, we're going to two services, and I don't want the service to feel anemic, right, and, and I'm like, oh, and so I took out like 50 chairs from in here, um, and then like, so like, Sorry, the lid <laughs> rolled down on the front row. And so the Lord, I'm just, I'm sitting there thinking, God's just like, really, man? Like, what, like you're trying to, so I guess I'll add some chairs back in next week. And I received that rebuke as from um, the Lord. So uh, Exodus 6 is where we're going to be. I'm uh, 48 years old, which means I'm just old enough that I can remember kind of living through the entire arc of the evolution of TV watching in our country. So when I was a little kid, I remember we had this orange plastic uh, little TV. You know, it had rabbit ears, antennas, and um, you had to change the channel with a little dial, right? You're like, you kind of, and if the, you could smack it, and if the, the picture would get better, I don't know how that worked, but that worked, you could just pop it. And so we had three and a half channels um, when I was growing up is... Uh, you know, the three main ones, and then sometimes PBS. And so it was like 1827. And then I remember we got cable, and that was a big deal. We got that little brown box that went on top of the TV. Remember, it had the buttons across the top. Old people remember this. Yeah, I was the only one that had cable. 
Yeah, remember you had to punch a little bit? And then life changed. We got a remote control. That's like, that's a big deal. Didn't even have to get up to change the channel. That was awesome. And then I can remember when we got our first VCR. And then we could watch things that had been on earlier. That was revolutionary. Right? I mean, that was just, that does. And then we got a DVR. You could watch a bunch of things that had been, and you weren't taping over anything else. You have to stress out about that. We got DVDs. And you didn't have to rewind them. I mean, that's like saved you two or three minutes a month. You didn't have to do that. That was really cool. And now we have streaming. Um, and so I don't know what's coming next, but I was thinking about this this week as I was watching some show. I can't remember what it was. And you know, if you're streaming right at the beginning of the episode, it says previously on. Yes? No, it's just me. Y'all just read your Bible. Okay. That's fine. I'll watch TV. I'll repent later. But so... And when you watch, it, you can hit skip, right? Because the previous was like 10 seconds ago. <laughs> and you don't need the recap. But back in the olden days, like when I was a kid, you needed the previously on. Because the previously on was like a week ago. And heaven forbid it had been in the spring and the whole summer had passed, right? And you didn't remember what was going on in Dallas at the last episode. And so you needed a, a recap. So this is a little segment I call Previously on the Story, because we're starting chapter three this week. And so we started off in chapter one, and what we saw was that God made everything that was, and he made it good. And mankind's response to God's good creation was sin. We rebelled against God, but his response to our rebellion was to make a promise. He made a promise that he would send a redeemer who would one day make all things new again. And then in chapter 2, we saw that God took those promises that he made and he formalized them into a covenant. He made a covenant with a man named Abraham and he said, I'm going to covenant with you that I'm going to make your descendants into a great nation and I'm going to give them a land of their own and through them, I'm going to bless the entire world. Now, Abraham only had two sons, and one of them he had to send off. And so his remaining son, Isaac, only had two sons. And they didn't get along real well. It's very, very dysfunctional. Jacob prevailed over his brother Esau. And Jacob has this experience with God. He gets renamed Israel, and he has 12 sons. And so if you're following along in the story, you think, okay, well, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting to a place where... I could see the seeds of a great nation, but at the end of Jacob's life, the entire head count of four generations plus of all of Abraham's descendants is 70 people. And they're refugees living because they had a famine. They're refugees in Egypt living at the pleasure of the Pharaoh. And so as chapter 3 of the story opens, some 400 years have passed. And we get some good news and some bad news. The good news is in Exodus 1-7. It says, The people of Israel were fruitful and had increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And if you've been reading along through the story, you probably hear some echoes of Genesis there. They were fruitful and they multiplied. But the bad news, as is often the case in biblical narratives, is in the very next verse, Exodus 1-8. It said, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. 400 years had passed since God had used 
Israel's son Joseph to save the lives of not just Joseph's own family, that clan of 70 who came as refugees, but in fact, millions of lives. And these 70 had multiplied over the 400 years so that by the time we get to Exodus, there were more Israelites in Egypt than Egyptians in Egypt. Scripture says that both Pharaoh and the people of Egypt in Exodus 1.12 lived in dread of the people of Israel. So they do what powerful cowards always do. They made laws to oppress the people they were afraid of. The Israelites' enslavement to the Egyptians became increasingly difficult and dangerous and increasingly discouraging. And by the time you get to Exodus 2.23, it says the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And their cry for a rescue from slavery came up to God. And then in the very next two verses, 24 and 25, two of perhaps the most encouraging verses in all of the Old Testament, it says God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant He saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He heard, he remembered, he saw, and he knew. Here's the truth that the people of Israel are about to learn in the chapters ahead, and the truth that I believe the Holy Spirit wants you and I to learn from this passage as well. It's this biblical truth in your notes that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. That's where we're heading. Now, here's the challenge sometimes with reading the Bible. We know it's going to work out, right? Christy knows, praise God. We know it's going to work. So um, it's kind of like watching the movie Dunkirk. Y'all know this movie Dunkirk, right? Do y'all watch anything? (laughs) Don't watch TV, don't watch movies. (laughs) Okay, what is, are y'all with me? Okay, so you, you seen this movie Dunkirk? Yeah. Yes, okay, good. So did anybody watch the movie Dunkirk? You got stressed out, worried that the British Army was going to be annihilated on the beaches of Dunkirk? Like everybody, you were just like really worried that maybe what was going to happen was Nazi Germany was going to sweep through the beaches of Dunkirk, annihilate the British Army, go across the English Channel, and conquer all of England to complete their conquest of continental Europe. Anybody stressed about that? No, because you know how the story ends. But they didn't know that in 1940. In 1940, when they're rounding up every boat that would float and sending it across the channel to try to rescue as many of their boys from the beaches as they could, they didn't know it was going to work out. And when the Israelites are calling out to God in Exodus 2, it doesn't feel to them like God keeps his promises. They didn't know it was going to work out. It had been 400 years. 400 years. And don't just hear like long time. Okay, from where we sit today, 400 years ago in our country, the English ship Anne became the third boat to bring settlers to the Puritan settlement of Plymouth. The third, Blaise Pascal was being born. 
William Shakespeare's wife would die that year. 400 years, a long time. Now, God had told Abraham, he promised Abraham back in Genesis 15, 13, that his descendants would be sojourners in a land that is not their own. They will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. He promised them that. But you can imagine that that wasn't the promise they clung to. Fair? That's not the promise they etched on their new Stanley mugs and they they put on their t-shirts. Like, praise God, we're going to be afflicted for 400 years. We'll live and die and never know anything but slavery. And like, they probably had some promises that God made to Abraham that they recounted to each other. I'm guessing that wasn't one of them. Nonetheless, God hears them. And he raises up a deliverer, a man named Moses. He famously, you might know the story, speaks to Moses through a burning bush. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to Egypt and confront the Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him to let my people go. And if you know the story, Moses is psyched, right? He's all excited. He gets fired up for God. He grabs his study Bible. He takes off down there. He's ready to do great things for God, right? No. Exodus 3 and 4, Moses starts trying to help God. He wants God to see that God hasn't really thought this thing through. But there's just a few questions that, that God probably should have thought about before he came up with this plan. In Exodus 3.11, Moses asks God, he says, well, who am I? Who am I to do this? And God answers him. And so in verse 13, Moses says, well, who are you? I mean, who, who am I even supposed to say sent me? If I go down there and do this, in chapter 4, verse 1, he basically says, God, nobody's going to believe me. Nobody's going to believe that this has happened. Verse 4, he says, you know, um, you might have missed this, but I'm not a great speaker. Like, I'm not really like an upfront, onstage guy. I'm more like the serve guy. You know, I'm like on the parking team. I just like to be out down over there. Like, I'm I'm not the stage guy. God deals with that. And finally, after God swats away every question and every excuse that Moses lobs out, Moses cuts to the chase in Exodus 4.13, and he says, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. But God prevails. Moses goes to Egypt with the help of his brother Aaron, and he confronts Pharaoh. Pharaoh shakes in his boots, immediately sets the Israelites free, right? No! Pharaoh laughs at them, and he retaliates. He basically says to them, you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Because they say, here we want you to do, we want you to let us go, we'll go out in the wilderness and worship for three days. And literally, Pharaoh says, if you've got time to worship, You've got time to work harder. So here's what we're going to do. We used to bring you the straw to make the bricks. Now you can go get your own straw. But your brick quota stays the way it is because if you've got time to worship, you've got time to work harder. Things get worse and worse and worse. So by the time you get to the end of Exodus 5 and verse 21, the people say this to Moses. The Lord, look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh, and his servants have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses agrees. 
Moses says to God in verse 22, O Lord, why have you done evil to these people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. The people are oppressed, discouraged, angry, exhausted. Moses, this man who is supposed to lead them into this glorious future, inheriting all the promises that God made to Abraham, is confused. He's disillusioned. He's doubting his call. He's questioning God. And my guess is that this morning, so are some of you. Some of you are so very tired. You are exhausted. You are discouraged. Disillusioned. It's not the way that you thought things were going to be. Some of you carry around so much anger because you're bitter at your plot in life. You're questioning yourself. Some of you, even if you're honest, are questioning God and questioning his character. And so you hear someone like me say, God keeps his promises. What you think is, not to me, he doesn't. Maybe to other people, but not to me. What you need to hear this morning is, yes, he does. God always keeps his promises. What you don't need are, are five ways to walk in purity or, or seven keys to conquering stress or, or three secrets to a success, successful marriage or, or nine lessons in leaving a legacy. Those are good things. That's for another time. What, what you need this morning is to hear the truth that God keeps his promises. And you need to believe it so that that truth can change your life. So I'm going to show you from Exodus 6, just the first 13 verses, the same four truths that God gave to Moses and Israel when they needed to hear it. When they were in the place that some of you are this morning, they needed to know the truth about a God who keeps his promises. And so he gives them four of them. I'll give them to you. The first one is this. That you can know that God will keep his promises because God will show you. God will show you. Exodus 6.1. But the Lord said to Moses, every time when you see the Lord and Lord is in all caps, it's going to happen nine times in just these 13 verses. That all caps Lord in your English Bibles is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. So this God that we met in what we call chapter 2 of the story, this God who makes covenant promises, who's faithful to keep his covenant promises even when his people are unfaithful, that God, Yahweh, is now speaking. 
He is going to reveal His character to His people. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand He will send them out, and with a strong hand He will drive them out of His land. This Pharaoh is the most powerful person on the planet at the time. And he is going to do exactly what the Lord wants him to do. Exactly what the covenant-keeping God of Israel purposes for him to do. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The people see oppression, hardship, Everything is getting worse. Moses sees his own inadequacies and a lack of resources and challenges that seem impossible for him to meet. And God says, I will show you who I am through what I do. I will show you. We see this again and again in the scriptures. Psalm 46 says, come and see what the Lord has done. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So too in 2 Chronicles 20, 17. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Oh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. The Lord will be with you. And I know a lot of times in our culture, what we like to say to people is, like, hey, don't just stand there, do something. But very often what we find is that God says, don't just do something, stand there. And I will show you who I am through what I do. Be still and know that I am the Lord. Second way you can know that God keeps his promises is that he has remembered you. God has remembered you. We'll keep going in verse 2 says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. That phrase defines this passage. And I would argue that it defines the entire book of Exodus. I am the Lord. So God speaks to Moses and he says to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. God Catch this now, reveals himself progressively to his people. He doesn't give, them to him, give it to them all at once. And he, what we, is going to happen as the chapters of the story unfold and as the literal chapters of Exodus unfold is that God is going to reveal himself to the people of Israel in ways that he didn't reveal himself to Abraham. I'm going to show you something here. In the same way that we now have had Christ revealed to us in ways that ancient Israel didn't know. Because this is who God is. Verse 4, 
I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. The people may have felt like God had forgotten them. Moses might have felt like God had somehow overlooked his shortcomings and his past failures, but God remembered. Those 400 years were not an accident. God remembered. He had promised that that's the way it was going to be 400 years before Pharaoh had decided to make their lives quite literally a living hell. God knew that that was going to happen. He knew when that was going to happen, and he knew how the solution to that problem would come about. He was incubating his people under the protective custody of the most powerful army on the planet for 400 years until they were numerous enough to stand on their own as a nation. He had not forgotten them. And friends, hear me, God has not forgotten you. God hears you. He sees you. When God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross, He knew every sin you would ever commit. He knew every opportunity to do, to do good that you would ever let pass you by. He knew every trauma you would endure, every loss you would suffer, every grief that you would have to bear, every sorrow that you would carry around in your heart. He knew every joy that you would experience, every blessing that would ever come your way. He numbered your days. He counts the hairs on your head. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He predestined you for good works that you could walk in them. He remembers you. And He has purposed your life in accordance with His will for the good of His kingdom, for the glory of His name. He remembers you. You are not forgotten. But God keeps His promises. He remembers His covenant. Including the way that that impacts you. And because that is true, you can rest assured, third, that God will help you. God will help you. He has remembered you. And He will help you. Look at verses 6 through 8, if you still have your Bible open. Say, therefore, God speaking to Moses, say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. He is helping his people. and He will help you. Our English word help falls far short of 
the biblical idea of God as helper to his people. Because I hear help and I think like, you have a truck, will you help me move? <laughs> I think like when my kids were little and they would come home and say, will you help me with my homework? I, but the idea of God as helper is much, much bigger than that. I'll, I'll give you just a few examples from just the book of Psalms alone. Okay, Psalm 18.6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. Psalm 28.7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts, and I am helped. 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 109.26, help me, oh Lord my God, save me according to your steadfast love. 58 times in just the book of Psalms alone, God is called a helper. God helps his people. In John 14, 26, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the helper. And he says this in John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, if you are a Christian, or if you're someone who would become a Christian, one of the promises of faith in Christ is that he sends the helper, the Holy Spirit, to indwell you in a mysterious way that we don't really completely understand. But this is the language of the Bible. And what Jesus says is the Holy Spirit in you is a greater help than Jesus in the flesh beside you. It's to your advantage, he says. God helps his people. So can I just say that I, I don't know what all of you are walking through. And I don't know and you don't know what some of us are about to walk through. But I know this, God will help you. Because God keeps his promises. The writer of Hebrews is reflecting on this in chapter 13. He says this, he has said, God, God has promised, because all his words are promises. If you ever wonder, like, well, where does God make a promise? Everywhere he speaks. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I will not fear the doctor's appointment or the funeral home. I will not fear the unemployment office or this interview that's upcoming. I will not fear infertility or an empty nest. I will not fear any election or some Supreme Court ruling. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul's reflecting on the help of God in Romans. And he says, no, no, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
He is a helper. And Paul said, there's nothing that's going to get thrown at you in which God is not capable of helping you, willing to help you, going to help you. The Lord is my helper. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will help you? See, the tragedy of this passage, the heartbreaking part of it is verse 9. Verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And it wasn't just the people. Moses too. In verses 10 through 12, So the Lord said to Moses, Go in and tell Pharaoh the king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses, who has just heard all of these promises of God, all of these things that God is telling him, this is what I'm going to do. Moses said, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I'm of uncircumcised lips. I'm not prepared for this. I can't do this. I just say that I know that there are times when you hear these things, when you can understand the words that are being said, when when you can cognitively process the promises of God, but you still struggle to believe because your spirit is broken, because your burdens seem so very heavy because you tried that last time and it didn't go very well and you gave it your best shot praise God for verse 13 but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Fourth truth you need to know about our promise-keeping God is that he won't quit on you. He won't quit on you. The people don't listen. Moses is beaten down. God is undeterred. God says, Moses, I hear you. Aaron, I understand. We are going to get my people out from under slavery and into the land of promise. I don't need you to be confident. I don't need, like your feelings aren't impacting me. We are going to do this. Friends, would you hear me? Like, God is not put off by your past. He's not shocked by your sin. He's not frustrated by your failures. He won't quit on you. 
He didn't quit on Noah when he failed after he got out of the ark. He didn't quit on Abraham when twice he sent his wife in to another man to try to protect himself. He didn't quit on Moses. He didn't quit on Israel and he won't quit on you. Jesus didn't quit on his disciples when they denied him when he's on his way to the cross. He didn't quit on the churches of the New Testament even when they were struggling. And he says to them, you've lost your first love and you're not doing the works. He won't quit. He won't quit on you. God did not send his son to earth to seek and save the lost because he thought we deserved it. He did it so that we would know that he is the Lord. Jesus did not live a perfect life that you and I were called to live but haven't and die as our substitute in our place for our sins because he figured that if he did that, one day we'd pay him back. He did it so that we would know that he is the Lord. God did not choose Israel because they're awesome he didn't, look, he didn't have this idea for a temple and start looking around for people who were pretty good at building cities. And then he found this group of slaves and he thought, hmm, engineers and architects, I can really... Jesus didn't build the church because he thinks all of us are first-round draft picks and he's got this pretty big mission. I need to get the gospel preached into the, the whole world and these people seem pretty awesome. So I draft them. On that. That's not what's happening. God chose Israel and Jesus chooses the church. So that through us, the whole world will know that he is the Lord God Almighty. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has redeemed a people according to his word by his grace and for his sake. That they might be his people, that we might be his people, and he our God. He always keeps his promises. He has shown you, and he will show you who he is by what he does. If I can just encourage you in love, some of you don't see who God is because you never read anything about what he's done. And when he does something today in real life and blessings come to you or miracles happen, you attribute it to everyone and anything else other than God. Well, it's you, it's technology, it's, you know, luck, He's showing you who he is. He has remembered his covenant. He has remembered his people, including you. He is able to and willing to help. Do you remember when the Father came to Jesus in the New Testament? He said, if you're able, would you heal my son? Jesus said, if I'm able, all things are possible. No matter where you've been or what you have done, where you are or where you're going, he won't quit on you because he always keeps his promises. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in these things. Thankful that in your wisdom and in your providence you have seen fit to have your servants record your deeds and to preserve them through the history of the church that we might see you by seeing what you've done. But Father, we confess that often 
We find ourselves more like Israel, more like Moses struggling to cling to promises. For those in the room whose spirits seem broken, whose burdens seem heavy, whose tanks are just totally drained, would you fill them anew this morning with a reminder that you are the Lord? Would you help us to walk in an awareness of what it is that you're doing that we might become more aware of who you are? That we might rejoice in these things. Father, you have sent the helper to those of us who have turned from our sin and placed our faith in Christ. Would you give us a keener awareness of his presence in our lives and remind us to lean not on our own strength or our own understanding, but on you through him for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.